Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. This is episode number 551. And before you think that it's just Robbie tonight flying solo, the team is here. Hey, you two. What's up? Don't worry. We're going to be hearing from them in just a couple moments' time. But tonight, we've got an amazing show planned for you. Robert Koenig is on the line right now, standing by, and he's going to be teaching us all about how the blockchain works and you think about that you think that sounds so complicated i've heard about the blockchain i've heard about bitcoin and it is so complex tonight we're going to bring it down to a level that even i can understand so stick around robert's going to be sharing with us and get your questions in uh we've got some great information for you here tonight about cryptocurrency and the future of how the blockchain is about to change the world stick around this is category five technology tv Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of internet broadcasters cat5.tv slash iaib welcome to category 5 technology tv episode 551 glad to have you here lots of exciting stuff happening tonight uh for the record i'm jeff weston i am sasha and i am here i'm robbie i'm way (laughs) over here on the desk because tonight we've got jeff we've got an amazing interview planned for tonight I'm excited. Uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Robert Koenig, uh, who is a pro when it comes to all things cryptocurrency. So we're going to be talking to him about the blockchain and things like that coming up in just a few moments. Absolutely. But before we get there, need to let you know, in case you missed the announcement, we are on Google Play. You can check us out. You can subscribe. Category5.tv slash subscribe. Get on the Google Play. Awesome. Also, you can still submit to contest at category5.tv to win your own copy of Dead Effect 2 VR, which is awesome. So send us an email just telling us where you're from, where you're watching, how you're watching, you know, who you are, and win. And then play with me. (laughs) (laughs) Is there multiplayer in, uh, in the game? Um, I, yeah, like, there is. I, no. but I only have one friend and it's Dave. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Which so is lonely. not, I know it sounds kind of lame. My husband is my only friend. <laughs> I'll be your friend, Sasha. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> um, this week, um, Nagios Enterprises did a write-up about Category 5 technology TV and about NEMS Linux and about me personally. Uh, there's pictures there with me and Sasha and Jeff and uh, definitely check it out. Uh, we're so proud to have been featured by Nagios Enterprises. Uh, easiest way to find the article is to head over to nemslinux.com slash news and just follow the link over to uh, nagios.com from there. So tonight, we want to kind of get into the under the hood of understanding 
what the blockchain is. It's so mind-bendingly difficult to get our heads around, and I'm right there with you. So tonight we're going to be speaking with Robert Koenig, who is the global monetary expert and founder and CEO for Zentavo. Robert, it's so good to have you here. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. The honor is mine. Cheers. It's great being here. And we wanted to have you on the show because there's this thing that's been happening in the financial sector over the past few years that for us lay people is kind of hard to get our minds around. It's hard to understand, to grasp the concepts. And we're really looking forward to just having this discussion with you to learn about things like cryptocurrency and the blockchain. Can you just tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Yes, I, um, I'm now two years working in this industry, the cryptocurrency industry. And um, it's like everybody else got hooked up on it through the press. At that time, I don't know if it was Mt. Gox or the big scandal with the drugs that was going through the press, but at least that got me interested in, in blockchain technology. And since then, I'm totally hooked. Awesome. So it's a great technology. It's something new. And it's uh, it's future. I mean, it's definitely future. So that's what I'm doing for now over two years. I'm a consultant in this business, and I'm coming more from the application side. So I'm not a technical person as such. Um, I I know my way around that a little bit, but the strength uh, is clearly um, uh, on the application side. And that's great because I think that in the industry there is there are a lot of very technical individuals and the folks that are explaining blockchain and and explaining how things work to the media are very technically minded and and are and so the the focus seems to be on the technology and in such a way that it's it's really tough to get our heads around robert to be honest with you so you you speak of the blockchain. not only you yeah <laughs> you speak of the blockchain and right now that's a buzzword it's something that is we're hearing it all the time but not a lot of us have our heads around what the blockchain actually is can you shed some light on that just knowing that hey we don't want that technical explanation we want to kind of understand from a layperson's perspective what the blockchain represents yes <laughs> and it, it, it's it's uh, it's nothing new basically what you do is like if i would send you if i've got ten dollars and i send you five dollars then both of us will write it down on a piece of paper and um, and that way you create a ledger it's like bookkeeping and now if you want to do it on a big scale and want to have it secure so that other people cannot change it what you do then is you link these transactions together so if if i give you five dollars and you give five dollars to john then <clears throat> suddenly i've got one transaction which is the five dollars in my book that i wrote down and then i've got the five or two dollars that you forwarded to to john also in the book and so i know at every time what the current state is the balance is it's basic book like like bookkeeping with okay. the difference <clears throat> is that there are around 11th in, in the case of bitcoin there are eleven thousand uh, bookkeepers or notaries that making sure that everything is working smooth and that's the potential of the blockchain technology so it's just uh, lining up um, different transactions like a pearl 
mm-hmm. and calling that into a chain and, and linking that together, and that's called the blockchain. So is now, there's the block- another word for it, which is uh, decentralized, uh, decentralized ledger technology, DLT. Oh, okay. but, but it's bookkeeping. So it's a, if I follow you correctly, it's an, the underlying technology of cryptocurrency, the blockchain, is really just a, a ledgering system, a way of tracking the transactions within the, within the currencies. Is that? That's exactly it. And, and the, the difficulty comes from a few, a few different angles. One is, how do I make this secure? I mean, in a world where we've got thousands of, of hackers that constantly hack into computers, how do I make sure that nobody can really hack the system. Mm. And that makes it then very technical and very difficult, but the principle is still the same. It's, it's a ledger where you write down transactions and, and you make many copies of it. Okay, so how does the blockchain generate money or create currency? Because people are, we hear about people mining things like Bitcoin or Monero, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the difference between those. Um, but how, how does, money come out of thin air and become part of the the blockchain yeah well we have to be careful is with its uh, cryptocurrencies are not money okay yeah they might become money if you use it in as a fiat currency so in other words if we would start using a canadian dollar on a blockchain that would be money otherwise it's categorized as a, as a commodity or as a cryptocurrency and the value comes through communication it's, it's simple. If I would create a coin or if you would create a coin, let's say there is a Category 5 coin that comes into, into practice for all the fans that you have, then that creates value. And that value represents some monetary value if, ex- if you exchange it against, let's say, euros or Canadian dollars. So that's where the, the, the link is coming from. But at the end, it's just a basic way of, of communicating. So is there uh, a purpose in the blockchain beyond just tracking currency? Like, no, that, it's, that is, from my point of view, it's a side effect. Yeah, there are, I mean, the, the grandfather is, is Bitcoin. That was in, Bitcoin was created in 2009. Yeah. It hasn't been hacked once, so it's running stable since then. Wow. But there are over 1,500 different uh, currencies also in the market. And the currency is just a side effect. <clears throat> that that's where all the hype is also coming from in the press of of the volatility and and the value against some sort of fiat currency but the strength of the blockchain is that it is a it's a, the big innovation is the trust side not the currency side yeah i can i can send you five bitcoins and you know that you if you receive them in your wallet and we'll come back to that, what a wallet is. But if you receive them, you know that you have them. You have got possession of them. Right. And nobody can take that away from you. They are yours until you open the wallet and you transfer the, the five Bitcoin to somebody else. So that is the strength. Can I just back One up here for a moment, Robert? And, and just there are a lot of people who heard you say you are transferring five Bitcoin to my wallet. <laughs> that was an example. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> Uh, you can't blame a guy for trying. You can't blame a guy for trying. Um, you mentioned that blo- uh, the blockchain or Bitcoin hasn't been hacked, but we do hear about um, hack attacks on different um, uh, cryptocurrency storage platforms and things like that. And we do hear about the theft of cryptocurrency. So is there a big disconnect between those hack attacks and the actual technology? Well, it's it's... It's the wild, wild west. This cryptocurrency is the wild west. 
And the problem is not the blockchain as such. The blockchain, whether we're talking Ethereum, Litecoin, or the big ones, they're all safe. Nothing can happen to them because you've got so many miners or or people that are responsible for keeping it, it safe. Yeah, so it would be very expensive to hack those. The problems are all coming from the, the, the user interface. Yeah, so when you as a user go onto a website to log in uh, to, to, to an exchange to buy Bitcoins with Canadian dollars, that is where the difficulty comes from. It's a new industry. Um, there are not many developers that know this language. So there was one case uh, in October last year where um, a, a, learning, a learning experience pressed the wrong button, and with that wrong button, it killed $150 million. No. Uh, so those are the things that is more on the, on the periphery rather than um, uh, the blockchain. It's, it's the Wild West. Th those things will change over time, so they're getting more secure, um, and, uh, and people see also where the ha hackers are, are going to. So the security, if you, for example, sign up to any of those big exchanges, let's take Coinbase as an example, I, there, there are many others, then it is really difficult to open an account because they've got a long procedure to make sure that it's really you and that you cannot get, be hacked, that, that the money that you transfer in is serious, all those things, that's something that they learned over a long period of time. And the, all the exchanges are similar. So there are multiple passwords that you have to enter. Um, there are securities with email and so on. Uh, so it, it, it's just because the, uh, the user interface is where the weak side is in cryptocurrency. Okay. It's not the blockchain. The blockchain is running smooth and safe. There is uh, the, well, at least of the big ones. As I think about, um, you mentioned Coinbase and um, the exchanges, which is basically where I could store my currency and uh, the, my cryptocurrency and then convert it to other cryptocurrencies or even fiat, um, US dollars, for example. Um, by placing our cryptocurrency into those, into those sites, into those services, we're kind of are, are we not centralizing our cryptocurrency and 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 i'd like to talk about decentralization and learn a little bit about why that's important well let's let's go a step back because you said something that that was interesting is in all crypto all cryptocurrencies are the same you have got a private key and you've got a public key the public key is like a normal account number yeah if you've got a bank account at the nova scotia, scotia or hsbc You've got a bank account number. It's similar to the to a b account number in Bitcoin, but to s the possession of a Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin, you only have if you've got this famous private key. And the private key is like the signature that you deposit at the bank. So if you write a check, you have got a signature on that check that identifies that this check is coming from you. Okay. And in cryptocurrency, that's the private key. Now, one really important rule is that the Bitcoin or Litecoin or any other currency, if you don't have possession of the private key, it's not yours. Yeah, so in the case of many exchanges, Coinbase is one of them, you do not get the private key. So they hold the private key for you. You've got the public key, but the private key they hold. So in theory, <coughs> the money or the, the Bitcoin is not yours. And why is that important? There's a huge case um, called Mt. Gox. It's, it's, it was the number one exchange a few years ago and that exchange went bankrupt from one day to another wow and because people had not possession of their private keys they lost everything 
And there has been now a lawsuit of many years on how to get the money back. Um, because they know where the bitcoins are, they got possession of of most of them already, and they're discussing now how to get it back. But but that's that's beside it. The important thing is when you deal with cryptocurrencies, it's the most important thing is be careful that you have got this private key. So what does that mean in regards to Coinbase? Coinbase will not give you the private key; they keep it from themselves. Therefore, you're vulnerable that that you, I mean, you don't have possession of your Bitcoin or Litecoin or Ethereum or whatever it is. So there are wallets, so-called wallets, um, uh, available in the market. And some are based on a computer or on the cell phone, where you have got possession of of uh, of the private key. There are also hardware wallets that look like USB sticks or or, or little pieces of hardware where uh, you have got your Bitcoin then secured again because you are in possession of, of the private key. So private key is absolute key. Otherwise, the money is not yours. The, bit, the currency okay. is not yours. Now, if you want to exchange uh, cryptocurrency for dollars or the other way around, you want to buy cryptocurrency, you have to go through these exchanges. And there are not many because banks don't like cryptocurrency at the moment yet. That will change, I'm pretty sure. The moment they don't like money, and therefore the, there are not many uh, exchanges that that uh, allow you to buy with with fiat money uh, cryptocurrency. Coinbase is is the number one. They they're insured. They're really good in what they're doing, um, and there you can buy then your Bitcoin with 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 money. Then there are other exchanges that don't of a fiat or a currency. So you ca cannot use your US dollar, Canadian dollar, or euro, you cannot use it there. You can only use cryptocurrency. So it's lacking this change. I exchange you one Bitcoin for 10 Litecoins or whatever. Sure. So those, there are several exchanges of those. These are currently all centralized. So there is a company that you can call when something happened or or you, at least you get some sort of uh, support. Mm -hmm. The other exchanges, and they will be bigger and bigger over the uh, future, that are decentralized. So it's basically only software handling all the transactions, everything that is happening. And, um, and they will also, they're starting, I mean, there's one that is currently in development, it's called Ethos, that will incorporate also fiat currencies uh, and, and other currencies within the software package. But those are decentralized. That means that there's nobody really responsible. So you can't call anybody and say, hey, um, I got, I lost this wire transfer, can you help me? Uh, right, because okay. it's based on programs. So therefore, very so anonymous, I, I would presume. Explanation. Sorry about that. Very anonymous, I would presume, in this case too, with the decentralization? Um, I would be careful with that. <laughs> that is anonymity is something that everybody talks about and yep. says that it is a, a strength of the cryptocurrency. That's not the case because um, you have got this famous blockchain. Yep. I can look back on who did the first transaction. Now, Certainly. it's true. I only see account numbers. I don't see names. Right. But if I would be a government, I can find <laughs> out easily who the owner of, of oh, yeah. uh, through an exchange, for example, who the owner is. So you don't get much, uh, I would be careful with transparency. Okay. And, and, that and we've had on. that, we have had that discussion on the show where we've talked about how governments say, uh, you know, it, well, we don't, 
keep track of who the person on the video is, um, but they can make connections and say, oh, well, you know, we connect this phone number to this person and we connect this wallet address to this person. And so all of a sudden we can track. And I know that to be true because I've received Bitcoin transactions from other people. Now that I know their Bitcoin address, I can see their wallet balance, for example. Exactly. Uh, so from what you're telling us, Robert, what I gather from from your explanations of the blockchain and the way that sites like Coinbase operate, um, and I find it interesting that you call them exchanges, because I think what is happening here, and correct me if I'm wrong or, or maybe expand on the thought, but I think what's happening is that we're seeing a uh, almost a transition in the paradigm of banking as it, as as far as our minds can comprehend banking because when i think of a site like coinbase as the example and i think about putting my bitcoin or my ethereum into um, coinbase i'm treating it as if it's a bank i'm i'm using it to store my currency but on the other hand you're you're mentioning about a wallet and having a local wallet installed on my my computer for example and using those sites instead as um, as a trade mechanism between currencies coinbase using fiat which means i can use us dollars and my credit card to buy bitcoin for example and then take that bitcoin out of coinbase because we're using it just as a a trade um, mechanism and put it into my wallet Am I right in that thought, that the paradigm is shifting as far as how we should be thinking about this in relation to banking? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly, that's exactly right. And it's the wallet is equal to the bank account now. Okay. Yeah, so if you've got, and you can have as many wallets as you want. Uh, you can have 100 wallets. They all cost nothing. You, know, you get them free. Uh, then you've got 100 bank accounts. So you become your own bank manager. Okay. So can I move... So, yeah. Can I, for example, take my wallet and back it up, have redundancy? Yes, you can. Um, I would be careful if you, if uh, the, the security is something that has to be taken very serious in, in this industry because uh, it's international. Uh, there is nobody really watching. Um, uh, there's nobody in, in charge, for example, Bitcoin. There's nobody in charge. You cannot call anybody. Mm -hmm. And so securing your wallet is, is, is really important so it doesn't get hacked. Um, it, I've, I've seen so many examples of people even stealing your, I mean, if they know that you have got, I don't let's invent a number, 1,000 Bitcoin, so that you've got a lot of money. <clears throat> Then they go to an extreme that I haven't seen before. They call the, the cell phone company and transfer the cell phone over to them so that they can access this uh, oh. special uh, Google authorization, which is called the two-factor authentication, so that they can have access to your Coinbase account and just empty it. Seen it many times. Mm. That is nothing new. Uh, so one has to be really careful. So the best thing is for for the layman <clears throat> is to have one of these wallets the hardware wallets yeah like trezor and ledger those are the two big ones uh, trezor is t-r-e-z-o-r and ledger is like ledger um, they have got very small hardware units with those you can store many of the currencies and and there's they're safe um but nevertheless you have to remember the passwords you have to somehow write those down so it's, security is something it's not an easy subject and i would be always 
uh, suggest everybody should be very careful about uh, security. Okay. Yeah, not, I mean, don't leave, for example, things on the laptop when you know right. that there's an Someone internet steal connection. steal my laptop. Yeah. Sasha, you have, or is it Jeff? Yeah, I have one. So, I mean, just with what, you know, you're talking about there as far as, um, you know, somebody stealing your stuff, what legal protections are provided when it comes to cryptocurrency exchanges? Mm. So, Robert, if somebody were to steal our cryptocurrency, is there any kind of legal um, way that we can combat that? Nope. For a limited time, get your hands on limited edition shirts from the Category 5 TV network. These high-quality shirts are manufactured by Teespring, a fundraising website, and your purchase will help support the shows we produce. Get yours today and send us your pictures to be featured on the corresponding show. Visit cat5.tv shirts to support us and get your official network shirt today. cat5.tv shirts. If somebody were to steal our cryptocurrency, is there any kind of legal um, way that we can combat that? Nope. Not really. I mean, there might be examples in one or, or a few cases where that is the case where you've got a recurse. But that, like this, this case that I mentioned before, <clears throat> where this apprentice cut off $150 million, if it was your money, sorry about that. You lost it. You were not in possession of the private keys and therefore you lost 150 million dollars and there's and there's there are ways of course theoretically how to get that back through so-called forking but let's not go down that road at the moment because that <laughs> now we're getting into the everybody. technical we're getting but, way into but the so so the answer clear answer is no you don't have a way getting that back there's no i mean it's like everybody says okay we'll then forbid trading in bitcoin it's not possible bitcoin is a protocol it's software there is no person behind it you have got 100 developers, they are, they are really good in what they're doing. They are leading edge developers. You've got the miners that like, like the notaries that are securing the system. And then you've got the users like you and me that, that are using the system. But that's it. There is no telephone number, no email address. You lost it, you lost it. And, I, and what also happened to me, I mean, all these exchanges, Coinbase, I think, is getting every day 50 to 100,000 uh, additional users. Wow. And so support is really difficult. One day I lost my two-factor authentication. So, so it's like a separate password that you have on the mobile phone yep. that is changed every minute. That's two-factor authentication. And I lost that key. Yikes. And so I had to go through a process on the Coinbase website. And that took me at least two, three days to get through that because it was telling me all the time, that's not you, that's not you. You need to send a different picture because it's all fully automized. Yeah? Another exchange, it took me about three, four weeks before I got an answer of a transaction that went wrong. So, we need so to, you're pretty much on your own in that, in that sense. Yeah, so we need so, to have a wallet set up offline that is our own that we can keep safe or maybe yes. print the private key and then have it in a safe location. Jeff? And with that, uh, you know, the food just asked a question in the chat room. Is there a best practices document that people can follow? Like you've just said, you know, keeping it 
offline. Uh, I mean, mm. if you're going to have your private keys, you don't want to store them on a computer that could get stolen or put them on a, a cloud-based system that could get hacked. So what are some of those best practices you could follow? Or, and is there a document that you could Yeah, are there, are there resources, Robert, that would help us to follow good practices when it comes to keeping our cryptocurrency safe? Yes, uh, there is. Although it can get a little complicated if you go to one of those currencies that nobody has heard of. Yeah, so there are 1,500 and and the big wallets they don't carry all those 1500 they carry around 100 or so mm -hmm. so the best practice number one is keep your private key if you don't have a private key you don't have anything the second one is use there are some software wallets that you can choose like exodus that's e-x-o-d-u-s and i think it's dot io but i'm not quite sure uh, they're very good. They are desktop-based and and okay. and Mac-based. And then you've got those hardware wallets like Ethereum, like like um, Ledger and and Trezor. There might be one or two that are based on the cell phone, which I don't know because I don't use the cell phone for these purposes. Yep. That's what I could, would go for. Uh, I would. Um, I mean, there are different opinions out there of what means secure. And if you hear of those Bitcoin maximalists, so those are the ones that believe Bitcoin uh, invented the hot water and that it will change the world for better. Mm -hmm. So those those people, they are the opinion that you need to put the the Bitcoin on the node, which is is like like uh, like the, the the database of the ledger. Uh, I don't think that that's the case unless you have got really substantial amount of money. So when you start under $10,000, a wallet like Exodus, um, uh, Ledger or Trezor, they're absolutely fine. I would not uh, go further. What I would take care of if you do it online with, um, uh, uh, with the Exodus wallet that you have got definitely some antivirus software or so uh, mm -hmm. installed. If you don't have that, then just take the laptop offline so nobody can hack it. Yeah, and encrypt your data or keep it behind a password or something like that, I think is really important as well. Um, and yeah, I, and, 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 and sorry that I interrupt you here. It's no, important also that if you do it on a desktop that you backed it up, there are also many people that, uh, that where the computer key. crashed, which is normal, and then they right. lost everything. There was one that went even to the dump to yeah. look for his computer Sasha? because <laughs> yeah. he didn't do the backup. That is Sasha just did the story. one of my favorite yeah. stories to oh. tell. <laughs> it's a tragedy. So so this guy had the private keys on, an, on a hard drive that yeah. got thrown out. So we have to keep that safe. And I think that's why we hear the term paper wallet, which is somebody, I guess, just what, printing or writing down their private key and keeping it in a safety deposit box. So that if the worst came to worst, you could always recover your uh, your currency that way um, so moving along from the technology and you know uh, the so I'm, I've got a better understanding I feel of the blockchain now and I hope that our viewers uh, feel the same um, there are so many you mentioned 1500 plus different cryptocurrencies what's what's that about like we we hear Bitcoin that's the buzzword we know of Monero and Ethereum and Litecoin and Turtlecoin what what's what's happening here yeah it's a it's a fast expanding market um four or five years ago you had uh, bitcoin and that's it the bitcoin had 100 percent market share today bitcoin has got uh, around 40 percent market share wow. and and in future it will go down uh, further because creating a, a coin or a token which is more or less the same 
um, is extremely simple. Yeah, it will take you five minutes to create your own uh, uh, coin. And that in itself will mean that there will be millions of coins available in the near future because everybody can create a coin uh, with, without a big difficulty. Yeah, so the, the vast majority of those coins were coming through just people, geeks or so, inventing something and saying, oh, this we'll put on the blockchain now. We'll, we'll create a blockchain for this application. Not really thinking it through. Um, because it now I beg to differ it, because some have really got it down. Some are really doing a great oh, job yes. with altcoins. Absolutely, I no no question about it, and that's what I'm hooked on to um, this technology. But out of those thousand five hundred, I would not give it more than two hundred that are really serious companies sure. that are able to achieve an, uh, a goal. Mm -hmm. There are others that um, that just invented something to scam people. That th there are many of those. Yes. There are also many that I've just don't exist that. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody invented something and it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. The other thing that is happening now, it's it's going going down a little bit, but it, it was the peak. Is the so-called ICOs? It's a new way of funding. Uh, a, a project so instead of having a private investor you go through an ICO and just for people to make money they invented ICOs right left and center <laughs> and that also created then coins so that they can be traded and that usually went goes down in price like like nothing mm. so I would I would say maximum 200 coins that are in 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 the market are really good projects that one could think of and really learn more about it yeah and I think that's an amazing stat to think that that small of a percent is really worth investing time, investing money, investing resources in. Um, and, and the whole idea behind cryptocurrency is that you hope that it's going to go up in value. Um, that's not promised, but it's, um, it's an interesting trend anyways. Um, what do you see, just kind of looking forward to the future here, Robert, will we ever see cryptocurrency you know, there's a, there's a lot of theories out there that, as you say, Bitcoin's going to take over, and there are these who believe in that. Do, do you think that we're ever going to see, for example, um, entire nations that are using cryptocurrency as their homeland currency? Uh, yes, I'm I'm pretty sure that within ten years, uh, all larger currencies will be based on a blockchain. Really? Uh, it does make sense because it gives the government transparency, a huge flexibility uh, is coming with that. So, for example, fractional reserve banking, which is, a, is an ugly way to make money, that can be all controlled in a much more, in a much better way. So for central banks, they're all experimenting with blockchain technology already. Uh, so it will, that will come. Wow. Uh, and, and that's one project also that I'm in, invested, I've invested in. But I know that Sweden is, for example, currently uh, selecting um, this. Russia is doing that. So in, within 10 years, we'll have every currency on a blockchain. I'm pretty sure about that. That's unreal. Now, I have a question as far as, I mean, just a few minutes ago, you are talking about all the altcoins and how there's you know, so many coins on the market. I don't know if this delves into your area of expertise, but... If somebody wants to get into mining a cryptocurrency and, and all that, how do they know what's a legitimate coin and what is a fake coin? That's just somebody starting it up for the sake of starting it up to see if they could do it. Like how, you know, if you're gonna invest in it, how do you know where to put your resources? Well, that is an awesome question because 
if you don't follow the basic guidelines, you will get burned. Yeah, I, I've lost a lot of money doing that. And why? Because there are people, there are pump and dump clubs out there, for example. So there's people that are pumping a coin, it goes up in price, and next day it falls down again. You, If you're not part of that club and you suddenly see a coin going up in value, you might think, oh, this is a coin that has got a great future. You invest in it, you lose money. Uh, so the, the most important thing is if you're a beginner, if you're an absolute beginner, stay with the top 10 coins. There, you, there you're pretty safe. Uh, the volume is big, so you can trade them. There's liquidity, in other words, um, and uh, there's enough infrastructure like wallets and so on. Now, <clears throat> everybody will get into this, especially if the prices will go up again, which everybody is saying that that's the case. We'll jump on this wagon of, oh, to the moon, or I want to have a Lambo or, or so. You've, you've heard that. And that's where you get burnt if you're not careful. So if you want to invest in a coin, make sure that is a coin that is being traded to a specific volume so that there's liquidity. What do I mean by that? There are some coins where there's only one transaction per day. Yeah, so if you want to sell or you want to buy, you have to wait a long time until you can fulfill your orders. Mm. That's not good. Yeah. So that price is, has, will have a huge volatility regardless whether you like it or you don't like it. And then there are others where you should go onto the website and the websites are, are, are visible to all the coins and just check, are there any developers? Is there somebody doing work? How is the marketing concept? How is the concept as such? So if you don't start believing in this coin, I would not invest in it. It's like in a company. Yeah, it's it's if you want if somebody comes and says, hey, I've got a great hot dog idea, then you, of course, want to learn more because there are thousands of hot dog ideas. So you learn more about it. What type of sausage are they using the bun, all those things. And if you like the people, if you like the management, if you see that everything really works, that's what I would buy. Yeah. And don't make the mistake. There are, I don't know, at least 30 YouTube um, uh, uh, bloggers. Um, and that are talking about coins every single day. Mm. And they're saying, yeah, you have to go into this coin now because this coin will go to the moon. <laughs> if you do that, I'm pretty sure you will lose your money. Because oh, these people, everybody cooks with water. Nobody knows how the future is going to look like. Nobody knows how the price is going to be tomorrow. And there's a lot of volatility in there. There's, there's a lot of scams in there. Um, the, one of them, the biggest one recently was BitConnect, which was a pyramid scheme completely uh, illegal in many countries, but it existed because nobody knew where the head office of that company was. A lot of people lost a lot of money. Some people made a lot of money. So be very careful where you invest your money. Yeah, so as, again, as a beginner, I would go for the big 10 coins um, and just stay there, learn more about the technology, learn what Bitcoin means, uh, get hooked on this year. I promise you, that within a week you will love, if, if you're a little, little bit technology mind, within a week you'll love all this here. It's really simple, the, the surface is simple, it can go uh, very complicated, but the surface is very simple. There's a lot of information on the internet and, um, and you learn every step a little bit more. Wow. A lot to take in tonight, Robert. Um, my perspective is different as a miner as opposed to an investor. Um, yes. So w when you talk about um, watching kind of the trends and everything else, like I'm mining what's easy to mine. So, I mean, we're talking coins that are 18 Satoshi and less. And so there's nowhere to go but up. 
and my risk is absolutely zero. So, you know, from a financial perspective, there's no, there's no risk there. Um, but understanding, you know, what we can look for as, you know, if we were going to invest, that's, that's excellent as well. Well, risk zero is, I, I hear what you're saying. And mm -hmm. I, I, it's, I mean, you will not get rich by mining, but the, there's a risk because you have to keep the computer switched on 24 hours a day. So you're consuming electricity. Computers don't last forever. So the computer will break down after a period of time. That means you have the risk of buying a new computer and you hope that including the money of the electricity, you made enough money with the mining. Mm -hmm. um, there are specialist mining equipments, but that's even worse. Mm. Yeah, so it all comes down on the quantity uh, and and also the electricity that that the mining costs. So if the electricity costs in your area are above 10 cents, then it is already a borderline of being profitable. And and the technology moves so fast that it is difficult oh. to keep up with the hardware technology. Yeah, but it can be fun. It can be a lot of fun, can't it? Really? I, I absolutely. <laughs> I, I I I recommend it. Just to learn how this thing works. Uh, download a node. Yeah, and take a bit. Don't do do Ethereum because Ethereum is a little bit. Uh, it's not working correctly. But if you take the Bitcoin node, you need to, of course a hard big hard drive, and you run. And you just learn that. So it's it's fun and just can't start mining. Yeah, build your own mining rig. But you need to know about IT uh, to do so. It's sure. not that simple. Yeah, yeah. But it's fun. Where can people, you know, as we wrap up our, our discussion today, Robert, um, where can people get more information about um, about the technology? Where, where I mean, we can get into Google and there are a million different results for finding out more information about the blockchain. Where should we go? Yeah, there's there's one um, a magazine that's co called Coin Telegraph. So if you Google CoinTelegraph.com, and then Bitcoin for Beginners, they have got a good section of what uh, what this technology is about. Um, I would definitely go onto YouTube and and search for uh, Blockchain 101 or Bitcoin for Beginners, and just watch as many YouTube videos as you want and as you can. There will be some explanations where even I don't understand a word of what they're saying. Uh, just switch that off and search the next one. So I would do a lot of YouTube videos, and um, and I would definitely go and and open a, uh, an account on Coinbase or any of these other exchanges that exist just to learn it. Get started. You don't, I mean, Bitcoin. The nice thing, I mean, with US or Canadian dollar. The, you've got 10 cents or one cent is the, the smallest unit. In Bitcoin, it goes several digits behind the commerce. So you can, with two or three Canadian dollars, you can buy a portion of a Bitcoin. Right. And with that, you start learning and, and see what this industry is about. Yeah, we didn't go into any examples of what outside of the currency market is possible, but that's where the big music will play in future. Yeah, so just to give two examples, one is with bank account, b banks. Um, you touched on that before. Mm -hmm. At the moment, or no, let's say 20 years ago, if you went to your branch manager at your local bank and you asked for a loan, that branch manager could take the decision whether they would give you the loan or not. Today, they just fill out a form. Right. They send that form to head office or some central place. They take the decision. That in future will all be automated through a blockchain. Mm. Yeah, so people need to be aware of that. Interesting. That all this decision making is linked to to a, a blockchain. It's called smart contracts. That's what Ethereum is about. Neo, uh, EOS, um, and and so on. They incorporate this this intelligence attached to to the the chain. 
What does that mean? Uh, banks is, 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 is jobs. But if, for example, you want to buy a Gucci uh, uh, wallet, then today you don't know if it's made in China, it's a fake one. You have got no clue because we're not experts in Gucci wallets. Mm -hmm. But in future, you'll have a little sticker in there with you scan it with your cell phone and it will tell you exactly in which factory it was developed. Food, the same. Yeah, papayas. If you want to buy papayas and you want to make sure that they're really organic, <clears throat> then at the moment you have to trust uh, wh wherever you buy those those, those the, the, the the fruit from. But in future you can scan that code and you know exactly that where they came from and if they're original or not. Those are just a few examples of what will be possible with with this technology. Wow. Yeah. So we're we're basically back to where the internet was 20 years ago, where the only thing you knew is HTML and it looked horrible. And then suddenly Amazon came up with offering books and you tried after a few months to a book and it was delivered and you were happy. And now we do everything through the internet. And blockchain is a similar one because you remove completely the trust layer. I don't have to trust you anymore. I know that I have got this thing in my hands proof, and yeah. therefore it's mine. I've got the private key, that's it. So all these things, that's what will come. And that's why this is so exciting. It is a lot to get our heads around. I know I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling it for my viewers tonight, but I'm understanding how we're able to now use the blockchain to authenticate goods yes. through cryptography. Because we're talking extremely secure cryptography that cannot be um, replicated or emulated or faked. And that's, that's exciting. Robert, I appreciate your time very, very much tonight. Thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, how, can we, how can we find you? How can we give a shout out to you? Um, the easiest way you, to get hold of me is um, uh, through, through the company that I currently have, which is Centavo. It's X-E-N-T-A-V-O. So it's like the Spanish cent. Yeah, the Spanish cent is Centavo with a C at the beginning. Our word starts with an X at centavo.com, and then you just send an email, and I, I'll be reachable. So Check if anybody of your audience has got any questions, uh, because I know we went through a lot tonight, and I'm, I'm sorry about that, but I think it's those were important things. So if somebody wants to have a little bit more information, just send me an email. I'm happy to answer those. What you've done tonight, Robert, is you've taken a lot of complicated concepts, compressed them into a 40-minute interview here, and said, you know, this, this can make sense. We may have to watch it back a couple times, but we may be able to get our heads around some of these technologies. And for that, I appreciate it very, very much. Thank you for, for joining us tonight. It's an honor, and thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. Have a good night. This, this is Category 5 Technology TV, and we're going to jump right over to the newsroom. Sasha is standing by with our news stories, and I heard some information there about that blockchain that I think is going to touch on some of our, our stories tonight as well. Sasha, over to you. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. IBM just unveiled the world's smallest computer. The mind-reading alter-ego headset interacts with Alexa telepathically. The Linux beep command can be exploited. Apple plans to replace Intel chips and will use its own custom Mac chips beginning in 2020. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Weston, yeah, you're building a brand new beautiful website. What? 
Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. All right. I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cat5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. This is the Category5.tv newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. If you thought the Raspberry Pi was a small computer, this will blow your mind. IBM just unveiled the world's smallest computer, and it measures just one millimeter by one millimeter. IBM hopes to pioneer the technologies that could change our lives in the next five years. Therefore, IBM is now building the world's smallest computer. Details are still sparse, but there's enough info to get excited about. The computer is one millimeter by one millimeter in size, smaller than a grain of rock salt, and apparently costs less than 10 cents to manufacture. Let's put that into context. Be honest, you thought it was tiny when you saw this picture, but what you need to realize is that this picture is actually of a chip that holds 64 motherboards. On each of those motherboards, there are two of these tiny computers from IBM. Yes, pictured here are 128 of the computers. Oh! There's an actual photo of the computer. Here's an actual photo of the computer on a pile of salt to give you some scale. The last world's smallest computer to make a big splash was the Michigan Micro Mote in 2015, which was twice the size of this computer. Feature-wise, the computer has a processor with several hundred thousand transistors, SRAM memory, and a photovoltaic cell for power, and a, tele and a communications unit that uses LED and a photo detector to talk with the outside world. IBM claims the computer has the power of an x86 chip from 1990. That puts it exactly on the edge of enough power to run the original Doom. IBM's actual application for this chip seems mostly centered on supply chain management and counterfeit protection. Enter the blockchain buzz. This chi the chip is just one of many crypto anchors that IBM is developing for this purpose. And now we wait for more details on IBM's plans for this, the tiniest of computers. Wow. This is interesting because I, I get the purpose of the computer, but I have to wonder how many people are going to go, eh, crap, I just lost my computer. <laughs> then what happens? Oh, dear me. <laughs> like, well, I just, like, I get it for, you know, maybe with some applications. Counterfeit protection, I'm confused about. I guess you sure. could just put... A computer on everything? Sasha, on episode 551, Robert Koenig was on the show. And do you remember him talking about the, um, the ability to use the blockchain mm -hmm. to verify that fruit is actually organic and verify that things are from the, the actual Gucci manufacturer and not some knockoff in China. Do you remember that discussion? Yes. Yeah, so that would be like one of those little computers is what would be yes. that. 
because the oh. blockchain is a computer technology, so it requires a computer in order to access it and run it. Imagine this, like I'm talking a one millimeter, the size of a grain of salt, maybe a little smaller, that is a computer that is as powerful as what we used to use back in the 90s. My mind is actually what? blown. Are there other, like crazy things we could do with tiny small computers that oh i think the sky's the limit I, I mean as we advance technology and you take something this small i'm sure give it another couple of years there's going to be a way to make something that small even faster start implementing that with uh you know say your glasses to run a, a virtual screen mm. so that you know you can go all star trek with that you know the glasses thing i mean you've got stuff like that i mean i'm thinking you know people that microchip their pets how amazing would this be that you know you stick the thing in the dog's nose so that from now on fido when he comes to your house and sniffs the door it picks up this computer chip scans and goes oh it's fido opens the doggy door so your house can stay secure instead of this open flap that anybody can get in i mean you think of all the possibilities of this and uh, i'm thinking medical too medical stuff being able to um inject a very like a very very tiny thing under the skin or into the bloodstream or i don't know if if that can be done i don't know i'm not a doctor um but i can see that being used (laughs) well i mean imagine it you know say you throw one in each of you know the palm you know the palm of your hand and on the tips of your fingers and next thing you know you have the ability to control uh you know various technologies at your house your car whatever because you have these unique identifiers because you have these little micro computers i mean anything it'll be like the newest trend in piercings (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) Ten thousand of them Ten thousand of them all mining monero on a die this big (laughs) that's all you need that's right i cannot even imagine my i can't my brain can't even I need, I need one of these little tiny computers in my brain helping me with this. Yeah, <laughs> it's very interesting for sure. All right. The foo thinks that input and output is going to be the issue. How can you communicate with outside peripherals such as, you know, it's not going to have an HDMI port. Right. It's not going to have the capability to connect in a mouse and these kinds of things. But you think about being able to program that chip to do specific functions and then let it loose and do, to do its thing. I, be I, it cryptocurrency. I uh, imagine it wouldn't take blockchain. too long to have some sort of a, a, a mini Wi-Fi signal. I mean, sure. thinking with today's current technology to have some sort of interface like that where you're doing things wirelessly. I mean, you could take a cell phone. It and is place, in a way wireless because it's using the photo yeah. whatever. I don't know the word Photo-voltalic either. Photovoltaic. I don't know. But it uses, so basically it uses um, the flashing light in order yeah. to receive and transmit data so okay well but take for instance like my watch i have a samsung uh you know gear fit and with a flashing green light it measures my blood pressure right and my pulse i mean and that's just a light on my skin so i mean imagine something like this would work just as well Neat. so it's very cool yep you know what else is cool this next story <laughs> wow yeah i'm intrigued <laughs> The mind-reading alter ego headset communicates with Alexa through telepathy. Speaking to voice assistants, 
um, no matter how helpful they can be, is still not something the majority of us do on a daily basis, especially in public. But what if you could speak to a voice assistant only by thinking about the words you want to say? Considerably less embarrassing, right? That's the basic concept behind the alter ego, a prototype mind-reading wearable designed by researchers at MIT. How it works is extremely clever. Okay, it doesn't quite read your mind, but instead it reads something called subvocalization. This is the name given to tiny, almost imperceptible neurological and muscular movements made when we say words to ourselves inside our head. 16 electrodes on the prototype alter ego headset sense the changes and match these signals to data inside a special neural network and eventually activate whatever task it was requested. The headset also has a bone conducting speakers, which use your skull to transmit sound into your inner ear rather than actually putting an earbud in the canal so you can remain aware of the outside world while wearing it. At the moment, the headset has 16 electrodes and wraps around the side of your face with a connection on the jaw and the back of the neck. However, the team has seen similar results from a model with only four electrodes, meaning it could easily become much smaller. So far, the team has conducted various experiments, including playing a game of chess while telling the opponent's moves to the wearable computer and getting potential return moves spoken back. Cheating, yes, but a clear demonstration of what it can do. Additionally, the device can do simple math. Lead developer on the project, Arnav Kapoor, said... The idea behind Alter Ego was to build an internal computing platform that feels like an internal extension of our own cognition. Thesis advisor Patty Mays added that the headset could help us all benefit from smartphones and the internet without being closed off from the world by looking down at a screen or wearing earbuds. Thad Starner, a Georgia Tech professor, pointed out how helpful silent speech would be in situations where voices can't be heard. People who work in noisy environments, for example, and those possibly including military personnel who rely on hand gestures to communicate when sound would give away their position. Or even for people who don't have the ability to speak at all. Currently, the alter ego is a prototype used for research and not available to buy, but it's possible we could see the technology being investigated here in next generation devices that we'll use as regularly as we do smartphones today. Wow. I feel like this is not new, which sounds very weird to say, but I thought I heard something like this in Toronto, I'm going to say five, six years ago, where there was a professor who was working on um, mind-reading technology to control devices around his house. And the intent was to build something for people who were quadriplegic. Hmm. Okay. So I, I don't... I mean, maybe that was just a, a myth news story. I mean, fake news never happens. But, you know, it, it's possible that this has already been underway, but this is a very unique way of going. Um, but, I, you know, with the whole idea of, you know, what I had heard about being done for quadriplegics makes me wonder, could this be used for somebody who's, say, in a coma? So you've been in some sort of an accident. There's no way to verbally connect with you, but there's enough research where people have... It's determined that even though you're in a coma, you can hear. There is some sort of cognitive ability. Mm. And is there a way to interface with somebody who is 
in that situation. Right, or even on the autism spectrum, like somebody who's sure. just nonverbal, right? Yeah. I, I think it's absolutely fascinating. Okay, okay. But then on the other side, and I'm doing the Jeff other side thing now. Yeah, you okay. going to the dark side? Yeah. If you could hack in, or if you could exploit and do some data, I don't know what they call it, scraping or something, and you could find out what people wearing these are thinking all the time, wouldn't that be really beneficial to people? You know, or wouldn't well, it be the case, like I've heard of the bone conductive audio on trains mm-hmm. for advertisers so that when people rest their head up against the window, they can hear the ads. Wow. Right. There's no sound. Right. But it uses the bone conduction technology that this uses to... So what if they then translated this technology into when you put your head up against the window, it can hear your thoughts? Right. What I mean, there's always going to be a concern that the technology, and, and a real, I can't believe I'm actually defending this, but there's always going to be a concern that technology could be used negatively. But I mean, I, I see the positives for something like this. Right. And I would hope that once it is consumer available, the price point is not outlandish. That right. it is available for people who could benefit from it and not just something so expensive that's used to exploit people. But you do bring up a good point. And, you know, thinking about the unconscious, what about your dreams? Hmm. If you're right. sleeping and you're dreaming, your dreams are not reality. But is there the possibility that this would interface with the device to suddenly impact the, your outside world because of dreams? And I think of, uh, what's that show, Black Mirror? Yes. Where they record your thoughts and stuff. Could this be going down that road? Okay. I mean, this hilariously reminds me of a news story we did a week ago or so where I can't remember. It was, it was probably Microsoft banning you for offensive language. Oh, right, yeah. Right? <laughs> offensive thoughts. What about if you have offensive thoughts? Like, how big does your filter have to be? Well, then we'll just be in George Orwell's 1984. <laughs> and here's my, is... here's my final thought. How would this change the world? And how, Sasha, would this change John Krasinski's Quiet Place? Ah, see? That, the movie just took on a completely different twist. That's right. <laughs> Retro programmers may need to reconsider using Linux beep command as an activity or progress alert. One of the silliest bugs on record emerged late last week when Debian project leader Chris Lamb took to the distro security to post an advisory that the little utility had a local privilege escalating vulnerability. The utility lets either a command lined user control command lined user control a PC speaker or more usefully a program can pipe the command out to the com- the command line to tell the user something's happened. If, of course, their machines still have a beeper speaker, which is increasingly rare and raises the question as to why the utility still exists. Since beep isn't even installed by default, it's not hard to see why the issue went unnoticed. German security researcher and journalist Hanno Box alerted the OSS sec list to further issues on Sunday. Bach listed an information disclosure bug in which beep 
opens arbitrary files for write as root bypassing file permissions. Debian's Rhonda Devine wrote that this reveals the existence of files normally hidden from the user and said, if a file has side effects when opened, Beep allows the calling user to trigger those side effects even if they are not authorized to do so. Jacob Wilk pointed out that named pipes and tape devices are affected. Box notes also linked to an integer overflow and a bug in the patch that's supposed to fix the original issue. As a result, Bach wrote, Beep should probably be discarded. It needs a proper code review and there isn't much point to the effort for a tool talking to the PC speaker which doesn't exist in most modern systems anyway. That is brutal. Why? How can Beep have such a serious exploit as that? Well, maybe because nobody uses it, and so... like, what's I just can't fathom how a code that makes your computer speaker beep gives root-level access to file systems. <laughs> That's a fail. That's a big fail. It's not often we have a news story where I kind of just go, what? <laughs> like, this yeah. is one of those ones... Jeff. I'm 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 the other side of that, where I'm flabbergasted. This is software that allows your com- your computer speaker to go beep. But that beep is it essential for anybody to still have this? Does anybody use this in I, a in a way that they can't just dis- dispose of it? Can't, I feel can dis- like they can dispose of it, but then there are the purists who you know have been using computers all their lives. Who when I turn on my computer, I like to hear that beep. I like to hear the PC speaker beep. That's a, that's a bad beep now, Robbie. It's a very bad beep. But, and if like, you hear it, you are exploitable. That's ridiculous. I, I, ha- I have nothing. I have literally nothing to say about this. I, 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 I honestly just feel like perhaps it's time to just put it to bed. Like, don't fix the exploit. Just get rid of the entirety. Like, get rid of this beep speaker beep thing. <laughs> Stop it. Just go. <laughs> the most useless feature of your computer. Just, just get rid of it. Exactly. It's it's not. It's like get it. Remove your wisdom teeth and get rid of your beep speaker. Do both Perfect. of those things in your life. Problem solved. But at least you can chew food with your wisdom teeth. But <laughs> I, I mean, I, beep. Suddenly you get access to files you should. I, I just. <laughs> it's a very malicious beep. <laughs> okay. Apple's plans to replace Intel chips. Apple plans to replace Intel chips and will use its own custom Mac chips beginning in 2020. The new plan is part of an innovative, an innovative named Kalamata, which is expected to help all Apple devices, including Macs, iPhones, and iPads, work more seamlessly together. The Kalamata initiative will allow Apple's design and engineering teams to have a much greater control over the power and features they wish to implement. Apple already designs its own ARM-based chips that it uses in iPhones, iPads, watches, and Apple TV devices. Moving away from Intel chips will allow Apple to freely release new Mac models without having to wait on new Intel chips. The company will also be able to produce new systems without having to depend on when Intel would be able to put new chips into production. 
The Mac chip plans are said to be in the early stages of development, and the transition to Apple chips in the hardware is likely to begin with laptops such as the 12-inch MacBooks as early as 2020. So, um, Apple... Is Apple just going to take Intel down? Is that what no. happens? Or, <laughs> no, like? no, not going to happen. Okay. Absolutely not. But here, like, is is Intel going to suffer from? I, I'm so confused. Like, if, no. okay, so Intel no. won't suffer if Apple withdraws. No, then just let them. In, in, <laughs> Intel is a phenomenal company, mm-hmm. incredibly stable. Is this going to have an impact on their stocks? Probably. But okay. it's not going to destroy the company. But the thing that... I, I, Apple is known for making their own hardware. They do everything in-house. I mean, mm-hmm. I have a, a friend who works for Apple. He patented a, a new heat cooling fan. Like, he had this team of four of them, and they came up with a new way of making it smaller. And you know, But that's what Apple does. They go... I don't want anybody else's stuff. I want my own stuff. Mm-hmm. I want you to not be able to use anybody's stuff for my stuff. They put these walls around their sandbox and nobody can play with their sand unless Apple decides to let you in to play with their sand. And right. that doesn't happen. This is just another Appleism. This is This is what Apple right. does. So I'm not surprised by it. Uh, nobody, I mean... I think it's going to drive the prices up. Marshman reminds us in the chat room that it means Apple going... A hundred percent proprietary. Absolutely, it creates a whole level of brand continuity that nobody's going to be able to impede upon. Because if Apple, you know, by twenty twenty is completely standalone, they do it all themselves by keeping everything contained within that sandbox. They are protected from any other company that goes poof. Right. You know, and if Intel ever went poof. Apple, Apple would be in trouble. But right. now, because they're doing the standalone, they're going to be protected in that sense. But at the same time, it also means if there's ever an issue with that Apple, they could go poof. Right. Because it's solely <laughs> they, on them. They can't blame anybody. Well, exactly. Right. They can't be like, oh, we bought bad batteries. Right. <laughs> but I just, I mean, <laughs> I, th- I think this is going to drive the point, the price point up. I mean, as it is right now, People are mortgaging their children in order to buy a new iPhone. People you know? <laughs> are so brand loyal. If you if oh, you are into the whole I thing, you love this story. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> yeah, I I am not personally. Yeah, I I won't. Way buy to it, go, but. Apple. Big thanks to Peter Carvey, Roy W. Nash, and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. And over here on the desk, I'm Robbie Ferguson. And besides Sasha, I'm Jeff Weston. Thank you so much for being here with us again this week. Looking forward to next week's show when we're going to actually be firing up yet again another Raspberry Pi 3 exclusive feature where we're comparing the different models. But we're going to do something a little bit different because we're going to be looking at N64 emulation. Jeff? Ooh. Oh, what do you think of that? I think it's exciting. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be here next no! week. I know. Work, uh, work has me not. I'll be, be here. here. All so right. I'm really bummed I'm going to miss it. Sasha and I are doing some gaming, N64 style, speaking yes. of retro. 
Thanks for being here, everybody. We'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye.